0: Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the insurance specialists at Bright Think Wealth Strategies. Find the disability insurance coverage that fits you best right now. Email robertsmith at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. The show is also made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. We'd also like to thank Helping Hands and OSA EMR for their support of the show. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs,
1: Well, hello, Sharon.
2: Well, good morning, Jeremy. Look at you looking all smart in your reading glasses this morning. Well,
1: you know, sometimes you reach that age, Sharon, where you need a little help. And uh, I noticed uh, when I went in to read the menus sometimes in a restaurant and the lights weren't real bright, uh, (laughs) I was, my arms just wouldn't grow long enough. And uh, I thought, you know, I better get these 1.25 reading glasses. So I'm good to go on 1.25 right now. So we're good.
2: Oh, that's just like <laughs> training wheels. You just wait.
1: <laughs> uh, something to look forward to. I appreciate it. You always encourage me to look forward, Sharon. So much appreciate Absolutely. Appreciated. Face
2: forward. <laughs>
1: uh, well, we also want to say hello to our listeners this morning and welcome them to the show because without them, we wouldn't have a show.
2: <sighs> Amen to that.
1: And I'm excited again this morning for our, our guest, you know, John Lawrence. John, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you so much. I'm so stoked to be here, Jeremy and Sharon. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Oh, and you know, gosh,
2: <laughs> listen to these two voices. I feel like such a minority here. Well, you've know, you, got great voices.
1: You know, John. I knew John uh, when he was a student at Western Carolina, and you want to give a little bit of background because uh, you know I always say that you guys were my podcast mentors. First oh, podcast goodness. I ever did was the one that you and I, I guess some of your cohort started. yeah that's right carolina and you know i'd love to talk a little bit more about that
3: yeah that's excellent well thanks again for having me on i'm I'm stoked to uh come on your show i've been following your show for a long time and i'm so impressed to see what you all have done with it. And, and Sharon, and I always enjoy hearing a true Southern voice. <laughs> <laughs> across the People up here in Maine tell me I've got a Southern voice, but it pales in comparison uh, to uh. going on. So, but yeah, so we started initially from the head of the bed, which has transitioned into anesthesia guidebook when we were SRNAs at Western Carolina University. So, At the time, there weren't really any active anesthesia podcasts around and I had about a 30 minute commute into work as an ICU nurse and I would listen to stuff from critical care and emergency medicine providers and when it came time to pick out a project I I figured, you know, why not create something for anesthesia providers specifically so We were able to convince folks at Western Carolina University to let us do that. And I was joined by three other individuals, one of whom became my wife, Kristen. And we started from the head of the bed and we wrote and published a paper in the AANA Journal about social media and its use in nursing anesthesia education. And after graduate school, those other folks have dropped off the podcast, but it's something I've continued to do. So I'm I'm very excited to, to keep producing content for the anesthesia community out there.
1: Yeah, and you're doing a great job at it. John, give us uh, now, you and Kristen both are CRNAs. That's um, correct. yeah. And you're in Maine, so you can give us a little bit of background. And we just want to congratulate you on the air for new baby boy born five weeks ago. And Yeah, you that's look, right. You we got a little well wilder rested. sky. Our, <laughs> hey. our first
3: baby. So break it onto the scene. But yeah, so after school, we moved up to Portland, Maine. We are both CRNAs at the Level One Trauma Center in Portland, Maine. And we have an incredible community up here, and yeah, we've got our, our first little baby boy. So I'm I'm rounding out some paternity leave right now before I go back to school or go back to school, go back to work. Uh, this coming <laughs> Wait week. Wait a minute, so, Was
1: that a Freudian slip, there, John? You, oh you want yeah, to tell us yeah. something. Man? My
3: nightmares are that I, I have one recurring nightmare, and it's that I that I'm in the middle of this the dream, and I've got some sort of project to do for school <laughs> that I've not worked on all semester, and it's <laughs> the end of the semester, and I and I wake up, and it takes me like. You know a couple of seconds to realize oh yeah i'm not in school but uh, you, you know school, that, that was sharon's that, like, life
1: PTSD. that was sharon, <laughs> sharon's life up until what a, a month or about two months ago may. right sharon yeah yeah two months back ago. in this, school this, again this may is when you finished
2: yes i finished
3: well congratulations that's amazing
2: yes it is amazing at my age <laughs> I wasn't sure if I was getting my Medicare card or my degree <laughs> first.
3: I'm definitely <laughs> impressed with CRNAs who have decades of experience that then go back for their doctorate of nursing practice degrees. So that had to be a journey for
1: you, I'm sure.
2: Well, yep, that's it—a journey. <laughs> we're going to do
1: we're going to do a whole podcast about that, John, because you know <laughs> it, it's interesting to me too. You know, being a numbers guy and financial guy because there's got to be another why, because there's not any more right. money involved in it. So right. we're going to get into Sharon's why, Oh uh, my which Lord. will be a oh, really interesting sense. podcast, I guarantee you. I might even give her a little bit of wine whenever we do it, Then we'll really get the truth. Well, then you'll get, I mean, you'll get the real why then.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm still dragging my feet on that myself. So I graduated in 2015 with a master's degree, and and keep, you know, I've I've done the math too, Jeremy. I've looked at it. You know, it doesn't make financial sense. But I also think that there's, you know, for me at least, there's a, a bit of inevitability about it. At some point, I'll I'll get back to either a DNP or a PhD or something. But I I don't know when. Especially now with a new little baby boy, like the yeah. numbers get more interesting. The time management gets more interesting. But but I think in order, you know, for me in order, I think to maintain relevance in a platform where people trust what you're saying that, you know, going back to get a doctorate at some point is, is significant.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're doing some, some teaching. Uh, I mean, so I think uh, as well, right. That's correct.
3: So I, I do teach at continuing education conferences for CRNAs. I work as our SRNA clinical coordinator at our level one trauma center. So, You know, of course, as as most listeners will know, starting in January of this year, every nursing anesthesia program will have to have transitioned to a a doctorate level training program. So so I'll be working closely with doctoral students going through their anesthesia training and then also do some work with the simulation center at the University of New England and their nursing anesthesia program, as well as the uh, physician residents actually who are at Maine Medical Center and working a little bit with simulation with them. So yeah, so I think I think there is there is a case beyond the financials for a Absolutely. doctorate degree for CRNAs, but, but it's an individual choice that you've got to look at to make that decision.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, I'm interested, really interested in our topic today because, you know, we're obviously on the podcast, you know, we feel like we're doing good for the anesthesia community and the nursing community as a whole. You obviously have been doing this for a long time and you saw this probably before almost anybody. And, you know, now with Anesthesia Guidebook, which you do, and Beyond the Mask, which we do, you know, we felt like it would be good for us to have some synergies on the show and talk a little bit about what you're doing, how we can advance nurse anesthesia through the podcasting that we're doing together and, you know, talk about some of those topics today.
3: Yeah, that's excellent. That's excellent.
2: So we've got to be. Absolutely forthcoming. And whenever we first talked about doing Beyond the Mask and just a little bit of background, I found out this is how my kids consumed content or podcasts. I mean, I wasn't aware of podcasts, and then so we talked about it, and I found out about your podcast. So you influenced us greatly because you were already in this space before we got into the space, and so we, I listened to you and so here we are.
3: (laughs) Well, that's amazing. Thank you so much for that. It's always fascinating, I think, as I'm sure you have seen over the years that you've done this, the unexpected places that it turns up that people are listening to what you're doing and and finding your shows and finding them relevant. I think that's one of the most fun and interesting things about what we do is that when you create a podcast, when you create, you know, anything in the social media world, if it's out there for people to discover, you might put the time and energy into it, you know, at a particular point in your life. And then if it's up there, it's going to stay there for years and people, you know, right. I still, and I was, as I'm sure that you do still get emails from folks that are listening to things that I I put out, you know, three, four, five years ago. And they're saying, Hey, this is really impactful to me right now. And I don't even re- really remember what I said, you know, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm mm-hmm. out there for people. So and sharing, you're right. I think it is interesting that, you know, there's been this explosion of platforms and podcasts and different social media outlets for the nursing anesthesia community in in huge ways this is how people are learning things now it's how people are learning about the profession you know you were instrumental in talking about how CRNAs were the best kept secret in healthcare and i think social media is helping you know break down that kind of idea that you know that there is this profession out there that's phenomenal and that you can get into it and there's so many people out there whether it's through an instagram page TikTok videos, YouTube channels that are helping people not only learn about the profession and how to get into the profession, but then also how to maintain a degree of competence and excellence in in what they're doing. And I think, you know, you all have this really unique voice from beyond the mask of not just looking at where the profession is now and where we're headed, but looking back on the history. And I think that has been so impactful for people to learn about our roots in some of the podcasts that you all have done on the history of nursing anesthesia.
2: Well, you know, our organization's only been around for 90 years, and we still have people who are alive, who were influential in our history. And that's one thing that we wanted to capture, and not to be morbid or anything, but when these people are gone, we still have them, their voices telling the story because they, they lived it. Right.
3: Right. Right. You
2: know, one of our biggest regrets was that we didn't get Goldie Bragman. We were supposed to be in Hawaii one year and we were going to taper, but it was Jeremy's national meeting for financial planners. And then the next year it was COVID and unfortunately Goldie's now gone and we missed that opportunity to get her voice. And now we're trying to get Patrick Downey, who's one of the oldest living male presidents of the AANA, and he's been having some health issues. So we've not been able to get him yet, but it's one of our goals. And it's, you know, just like you said, they're out there forever for people to listen to. And nobody goes to the archives. We have all this at the AANA office, but I've been in the archives, but that's only because I was AANA president. Nobody else goes there and nobody's going to read that history, but this is a perfect way to provide it. And it's kind of an interesting story how we got, we started down that path. We were at one of the NCANA meetings and I saw Nancy and Sandy sitting in the bar. You had to walk right by the bar to get to the the meeting hall, which could be dangerous for CRNAs because sometimes (laughs) you (laughs) you don't quite make it to the meeting hall. But I saw all these students just walking by, and Sandy kicks me every time I say this, but... You know, those students had no idea who these women were, and they just thought they were two old ladies sitting in a bar, having a drink, and had no idea. And they've got a whole new fan base now because all of these students that hear them on the podcast know who they are now Um, and take that opportunity to go up. And Nancy and Sandy are great about sharing things. And so when the students come up to them and say, we heard you on the podcast. So Jeremy and I derive a great deal of pleasure from that.
3: Absolutely. Oh, that's awesome, and and I think what you said about you know this information's in the archives at the AANA, but people don't go there to to dig it up, and yet yet people do look at or listen to podcasts, and you know get on these other social media platforms. I think it is it it, it is a new way that people are are getting information, they're hearing stories, they're learning about the history of per, the profession and how to become and and be functional as CRNAs right now. So it's a it's a whole new way of communicating and sharing information. And I think these platforms have really made information so much more accessible than maybe what it was in the past.
1: Yeah. Well, and the other thing I think that's really important is that your content, our content is open access, which I think is, is great for the community as a whole. And the other thing that it's kind of – led to is this whole asynchronous learning type of programs. Obviously, with COVID, you know, every state association, the ANA, everyone had to go to this, and I'd love to get your take on where you think this might lead in the future.
3: Yeah, that's great. So we should introduce the term, this this idea of free open access meducation or medical education, which is an acronym of FOAM. And so when I was going to anesthesia school, this was just starting to get talked about in the medical literature, you know, blogs and podcasts for medical education were just kind of hitting the airwaves in, you know, the 2010s, 2011 and 12. And it's interesting to think about it from a conceptual standpoint, the idea of putting information and content out there that's free and open access and, you know, these platforms have have created accessibility. The internet has created accessibility to content, but then what's the philosophy that guides the dissemination of that content? Right. It's also obviously created huge potential for, you know, commercial interest and profit generation. And we've seen that through various companies, you know, who create online educational content. There's, there's so many CRNAs out there, frankly, who are, creating programs, whether it's to study for CCRN or the GRE, or to help you get into anesthesia school that are paid subscription sites. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's, it's an interesting approach to, you know, kind of a side hustle or a job or or whatever it may be for you to get involved in. But I think it is really interesting to think about how free open access sharing of medical information changes the dynamic of medical education in general you know, used to the only place you could go were print journals and print textbooks and live in-person lectures provided by professors. And now, I mean, there's no shortage of information. And I think it's changing the way people actually learn information. You know, do you have to memorize as much content in order to be a proficient provider at your work? Or can you look things up along the way? You know, I, I have even listened to episodes of from the head of the bed to help me years <laughs> down the road in clinical. Yeah, you know, I was on call. This is probably a couple of years ago. And I had a, you know, like a maybe a seven-year-old lap appy coming in through the ER. This is like 11 o'clock at night on a Friday night. And she had sickle cell anemia. And I was like, oh gosh, sickle cell anemia. And I was like, well, good news. I've got a podcast on that. And it was yeah. a short 10 to 15 minute show that one of the other founders from the head of the bed had done. And literally while I was setting up the room, I hit play on this podcast and got a, a super brief, you know, reintroduction to the anesthesia considerations of sickle cell anemia. And it was super helpful. So, so there's so, I mean, I've kind of hit on so many different tangents, Jeremy, maybe you can help steer the shit back on course. No, no, I think so it's good. It's,
1: I think that's great. It was a great concept to introduce. I mean, but as you're talking, uh, you know, I'm, I'm listening to you and, and me not being in the profession, but knowing enough about it to kill people, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm sitting here, <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking, you know, gosh, if uh, if someone went to a podcast and listened to this podcast, but what if... What if that information wasn't correct? And, you know, it just made me think of peer review and, you know, what should the the community, what kind of standards should be if you're out there promoting a podcast or giving information out there or putting information, you know, should there be some sort of standard? Should it be peer reviewed? How would that work? I mean, and is that available? I don't even know at this point. Well,
3: it's a super important question, I think, both for content producers and for consumers. So for the SRNAs and the CRNAs out there, you've got to, you know, in traditional publications, whether it's a textbook or a peer-reviewed journal, there's some sort of an editorial process, right? And we've come to trust those sources as, as being accurate, right. at least at the time of publication. and. You know, with social media content, whether it's a TikTok video that's explaining some sort of a pathological process or a podcast that's discussing pharmacology, really the onus, I mean, it it is twofold. The the content producer needs to be careful that they're bringing accurate information to their audience, but there's no one checking them on that. I mean, it is, it is so easy to produce a a podcast and get it out on the airwaves and you can say whatever you want. It does not have to be accurate and no one's going, you know,
1: kind of like being a politician, right? What's that? Kind of like being a politician, right? It is. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, say whatever you want. You can always retract it later, you know? that and, and now you don't even have to retract it you yeah just, you just live with it you know? your way through just and keep building yeah. on
3: it <laughs> right which yeah the politics of saying whatever you want it just doesn't work when you know lives are at stake and right, clinicians right. have to take care of patients so so there is this onus on content producers of, of being accurate but more so than ever especially you know specifically compared to textbooks and peer-reviewed journal articles Listeners or you know consumers of social media, CRNAs and SRNAs and other anesthesia providers have to discern the accuracy and the applicability of what they're hearing, and it it really brings in this question of of how do you do that, and and should there be a process of, of peer review or you know editorial review in podcasts? And there there are you know that has been suggested in the literature. There are people who have tried to do that, and you know one of the beautiful things about social media is that it. The, the immediacy with which you can get information out there. And I do think the more time spent, you know, editing and peer reviewing and making sure everything is super, you know, dialed in and specific and perfectly accurate, I, it may slow it down. It may make information less interesting. And I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, inaccurate information is more interesting. That's not what I'm saying at all, but there is. But it, it usually
0: is. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, a, as we can see I the mean, clarity of certain Twitter accounts, uh, <laughs> the last several years in the United States. So that's a whole nother, it's a whole nother ball game. So, yeah, I think that the question of quality control is very interesting in and, and the, the immediacy of spreading information is so interesting too. You know, it's been said that if you want to know the state of information you know, five to seven years ago, read the latest edition of whatever textbook is on the market. If you want to know what was going on two to three years ago, the latest cutting edge information, but two to three years ago, read the latest peer reviewed journal article. And if you want to know what's actually happening right now, you've got to consume social media. You've got to get on and, and see. And it's not just about trends. But evolutions in techniques, and you know, changes in pharmacology, changes in medications, changes in uh, medical technology, those things are being discussed on social media, and I do think that COVID, as Jeremy, as you said earlier, has accelerated this process. You know, slowly, if you look at the history of foam, and I can send you some journal articles, uh, some peer-reviewed journal articles that talk about foam from a conceptual standpoint and kind of outline the history. But if you look at the history of it, you know these these traditional peer-reviewed platforms have caught on. They have seen the power of social media, whether it's podcasts, blogs, et cetera. And they have shifted and tried to make their information, you know, more congruent with the evolution of technology. And, you know, but I I think that that has brought about the idea of, Peer-reviewed journal articles, not limiting their scope of publication to what they can fit in a print journal, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, what was interesting with our publication on social media nursing anesthesia education was that we did a lit review while we were in grad school. That transpired 2013, 2014. So all the articles we were looking at were published a couple of years before that, and then you know we submitted our article in 2015. It had to go through a a period of, what do you call it, revision. (laughs) (laughs) We had to revise the article. And then by the time it was accepted for publication, it didn't come out into print for another two years in february of 2017 so you're looking at something that's talking about this evolution of content of how quickly social media can produce something and even that peer-reviewed journal article it took two years you know probably two years to produce and then two years to just literally sit on the shelf before it found its space in a print journal article so i think traditional journals are are looking at you know how do we push stuff online to get information out there more quickly So there's all kinds of variables, you know, that, you know, whether it's journals who are adapting to the pace of social media. And then as we were just talking about, you know, some sort of quality control and accuracy of content from producers who are actually producing things on an ongoing basis. Yeah.
2: Well, I know you've talked about it on your podcast before. About when you're putting out information, it's clinically relevant at that time. And how do you deal with it that somebody may be going back and listening to that content three years down the road? Right. And, you know, I guess time stamping it, and we're not really good on our podcast. We may tape it, but it might not air until three months down the road and doing some time stamping. But I will tell you, we don't do as much clinical content. And again, that was because of you, John, because I listened to your podcast and your clinical content was excellent. And we didn't feel like that needed to be a space that we were in. Number one, Jeremy don't know anything about the clinical
1: Uh, (laughs) Now, I do know a little bit. I know intubate, extubate, ambu bag. You know, I mean, there's a few things I know. I heard you answering some apex questions on your latest show. there you go. Look at this.
3: You've been working on I'm, your CRD merit badge. I'm, a, I'm very
1: good at deductive reasoning. I'm a very yes. good test taker. So, you ah, know, yes. I can, but, but yes, I, as I said earlier, I would kill people. So, I, I it's not my forte. So.
2: But, but, you know, that wasn't a space that we felt right. needed to be covered, nor did we feel like that was a space that either of us, you know, really should, could be in. I mean, right. I'm, I'm a clinician to be sure, but, you know, I already know how to give anesthesia, hopefully 30 years down the road. And it, it's my jam is somewhere else, I guess you could say. Yeah. But you just do such an excellent job. And actually, that's the reason why I listen to you is to thank get you so much. clinical content. I and do, you've got a great voice that well, I love to listen to.
3: <laughs> thank you. I, I do think you bring up a really interesting point, which is, you know, we're seeing that as more and more people, Create a platform from which they want to share information. Is what's the what's the point behind what you're doing? What yeah. what particular angle do you want to have? What's the space that you want to fill and the content that you want to talk about? And I have heard from other social media, you know, kind of content producers in the anesthesia space that they'll steer away from clinical information because. They say, yeah, I mean, in order for that to be accurate and for it to be well done, I would have to put a lot of time and effort into reading and making sure that things are are high quality. And that's, you know, it's good for them to recognize that that's an element of the whole process, but it also shapes what people are doing, right? It shapes what people want to talk about. And how they get into that space. And, you know, I don't think that we're like, I still feel like we're just getting started in this whole space that, you know, for SRNAs out there who are listening, if you've got something to say, or if there's an angle that you want to take, it's not all been done. You know, there's a space for the next wave of content producers and know to come into social media and to you know create content or the next podcast or whatever it might be you know i i look at where i started with from the head of the bed and i thought i would be able to cover everything you know and and when you look at the amount of time it takes to actually produce something and i'm still super you know analog and archaic and like i'm doing all of my own editing and that kind of stuff so it does take a lot of time to you know get a topic pulled together get an interview pulled together edit the information create the website all of that kind of stuff you know that that you're not able to cover everything and there's so many different people out there who are taking different angles at at content and, and doing a really good job with it and it's been very impressive to see the evolution
1: you know i read something john you can you probably know a lot more about this than i do but the average person that starts a podcast, I think 80 some percent of them don't make it past their seventh episode.
3: Oh, interesting.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it it is hard and you, you do have to have a, a vision you know we do we do a weekly release and we've always done that for 3 plus years now and sometimes yep. it's hard for Sharon and I to get together or to to get think of a topic that we might want to have on cuz Sharon's really great at that putting these lists together for us that are you know, forward thinking of who we're going to have on and coordinating that. And, you know, I, I couldn't do it without her. I mean, um, seriously. I mean, you know, again, awesome. you know, we're we're a good team in that regards. But, but you know, you've been doing this for a long time and you've consistently been doing it and putting out that content and still doing it. So, you know, as I kind of look at this and, and think back through it, You know, there are folks out there that have anesthesia-related podcasts that, like you said, are charging for that. And then there's people like us that have open access where, you know, the content is free. What is your thoughts on the charging side of it? And I just go back to, you know, the fact that if you're giving – advice through a podcast and you're charging people money for it, you know, what are your responsibilities? What should you be doing? How should that content be verified? And again, these are our opinions. I mean, you know, it's, it's, I'm not looking for, you know, an exact, but I just, I'd love to get your take on it.
3: Yeah, it's great. Well, I think that obviously so many people get into You know, producing, you threw out the term earlier, asynchronous learning opportunities, again, which means most basically like you're not sitting in a classroom getting it directly from a presenter or you're not at a conference hearing it directly from a a live presentation, but it's some sort of a pre-recorded content that's put out there. Uh, so it's asynchronous. It was recorded at one point. You're consuming it down the road. So so many people get into producing those styles of things, whether it's a YouTube video, you know, there's all the social media platforms in terms of Facebook pages, TikTok videos, that kind of stuff. And then podcasts and blogs, and then also, you know, things that are definitively behind a paywall, stuff like Apex or Prodigy, you know, educational platforms that you're not going to access unless you pay for that access of content. And and now right. there's, I think a, there's a new wave of people who are offering, you know, support for critical care nurses to get to anesthesia school. So support, coaching services, whether it's reviewing applications, personal statements, providing tutoring services, those kinds of things. So, you know, you can't look at paid content and say, this is philosophically wrong, right? I mean, it, it's out there people can do that it's it can be a very lucrative income stream for some individuals but that also brings up the question of what's your motivation what's right. the goal what's your output what's your responsibility what do you you know what are people getting from you for the price that they pay and for me i think the philosophy of free open access content has always been so inspiring that you know you have people that are willing to share information freely for instance i'm doing a uh, a writing course right now that was actually recommended by one of the other anesthesia podcast providers it's called writing in the sciences from stanford university and it's a whole you know multi-week pre-recorded video lecture series on how to write professionally how to write for scientific journals and it's offered for free from stanford university it's a it's an excellent example of free open access Medical education or a writing education.
2: Oh Lord, tell me about this. Even though I just graduated, that was one of
3: Sharon. You're problems. done. You're done. I know. No more school. It, <laughs> it
2: so difficult. Don't stop <laughs> going back
3: to school, Sharon. <laughs> my
2: advisor would say, "Yes, Sharon, you need to take that." <laughs> I'm used to writing one pagers for politicians on a seventh grade reading level. Right. I have to go to writing. You know, my manuscript that's 240 pages. Right. That was a big leap for me.
3: It's a huge leap. And a lot of healthcare professionals beyond CRNAs, your scientists, your healthcare providers, your practitioners, you don't come or really think about needing to develop writing skills to be able to do your job. So, but we can provide a link, uh, you know, I'll I'll send you the the info for that so you can put it up. Oh, that
2: would be great for me.
3: Uh, But to Jeremy's question, you know, I think it goes back to, from a content producer standpoint, you know, what is your goal? What's the incentive for doing what you're doing? And I think, you know, too many content producers, whether it's, you know, people on Instagram or TikTok or those who are doing podcasts, they have kind of their own incentives for doing what they do, whether it's popularity, notoriety. So, you know, the number of downloads, the number of likes you get on a an Instagram post or a TikTok page or its income you know how much profit can you get directly from consumers through paid subscription services or through advertisers that may you know put banners on your website and while each of those things can be super reasonable and even even help you make what you're doing possible because for those who have no income stream associated with what they're doing, which I am in that category, I've never sought to monetize what I'm doing uh, with the podcast. It's a big ask in terms of, you know, volunteerism. But for me, it's, it's the, it's a way that I give back to the community. You know, the time that I put in is a way to give back And, and I don't necessarily need a financial incentive because of that. And I've looked at different outlets and, there may be things that come down the road that tie in some sort of a financial incentive for it, but you also have to be very careful about how you approach that. And maybe a paid subscription you know, process is a way to maintain the integrity of your platform because you know, there's, there's the whole other realm of advertisements or paid sponsorships through industry partners. So, and that can influence you know, the integrity of your content. If you're on there talking about ShugamutX, and how great it is, but the maker of Sugamon is funding your show, that's a direct conflict great. of interest. Exactly. And there's not, again, you can say whatever you want on a podcast and you don't have to disclose conflicts of interest in whatever you're producing. But I think, you know, the integrity of, of what you're doing is important. And I think the philosophers of social media would say that social media will police itself, right? That if you're out there and you're doing something that is, you know, unethical, that, that hopefully the community would, would learn about that and and sort of, you know, marginalize or publicize what you're doing and, and make that known, you know, but for me, I think, uh, you know, for anesthesia guidebook and and what I'm doing to me, the goal is not, you know, how popular this can be or how many likes I get or how much money I can make. It's really about helping equip providers to be better at their jobs. And so for me, it's not been, you know, I know that there's algorithms out there that, you know, the algorithm will, promote your show. If you do a, a weekly release, you know, the algorithm on Instagram will kick you to more you know, Instagram users if you're posting daily. And if you use all of their little social media tools and videos and that kind of stuff. But to me, it's never been about like how much it can be seen, but how well I can produce the, the content and, and if it's relevant and helpful to other people. The point is not you know, to become popular or well-known, but the point is to equip people to do their jobs better. And, you know, so like the, you know, if you think about it from like the old, you know, hero story, the hero of the story, I think, I think so many content producers see themselves as the hero of the story. It's about how popular they can get. And for me, the hero of the story is the CRNA out there who has to go to work every day, and is facing these challenges of how to take care of patients in really complex environments or how to navigate the business and politics of healthcare or how to maintain a sense of personal wellness. And if I can create content that helps them succeed in those endeavors, then then they're able to win the day and they're able to do their jobs better. And that's rewarding enough for me if I can be a small part of what helps them succeed.
0: As a CRNA, you spend years preparing yourself for this career, so we don't want to see you lose out on any of the income you've worked so hard to earn. The best way to protect yourself and give you the confidence that a major life event won't disrupt your financial future is through disability insurance. We've known disability income specialist Robert Smith for many years and have seen the work he's done with nearly 2,000 CRNAs over multiple decades. He can help identify any gaps in your existing coverage and fill those gaps by finding the best value on a policy. Contact Robert and let him know you heard about him on our podcast. Send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Protect your greatest asset as a CRNA, yourself and your ability to earn a living by adding disability insurance to your financial plan. Well,
1: you know, John, one of the things that, the reasonings that we started the historical series was, to Sharon's point earlier, is SRNAs aren't learning as much about the historical aspect of being yep. a CRNA. Well, um, there,
2: it's it was taken out of the curriculum you know used right. to there were even questions on our test about right. our history and that was taken out so they don't teach it anymore because it's it's not on the
0: test
1: wow right i didn't realize that mm-hmm. i think sharon aren't they putting uh, a little bit back in now from what i understand i mean not a lot yeah, but a little but bit,
2: i so. mean you can it can be taught in professional aspects right. but i mean we know for certain that people are not aware, just like, I'll throw this example out, this whole region director realignment resolution that just came in. whenever it started, the makers of the resolution, I asked them, did they go back? And this is not the first time this had been discussed. And there was a huge task force that Deb Geisler, an AANA past president headed up. And I got in touch with the makers of the resolution to say, have you read that task force report? They didn't even know it existed. And I was told by one of the makers, oh, well, that happened when... Purple Rain and Prince was popular. <laughs> and I said, you know what? I went to that that concert. And every time I hear it on the radio, I'll text him and say, hey, Purple Rain's on the radio. But they never, <laughs> they never went back and looked at that. And, you know, that's another reason why I think that the history piece is absolutely important. How do you know where you're going? I mean, I understand that the windshield you can see more but you still have a rearview mirror for a reason
3: yeah yep. well yeah I think I think you're you're bringing forward the history is so important and then also as you said Sharon just uh, you know that example reminds me of I think maybe I don't know it was a year or two ago you all were doing you know episodes to explain different platforms going on within the nursing anesthesia community so addressing the the change in terminology from nurse anesthetist to nurse anesthesiologist or nurse anesthesiology for the name of the right. association. And I think, again, you know, people are probably not going to spend as much time reading an email or logging on to a password protected member site of the association to read through right. agendas right. and proposals, but they will click on a podcast and listen to content that's being currently discussed on their commute to work or while they're running or working out or whatever. So, so again, the, the accessibility of information is is so valuable on these platforms.
2: Well, speaking of, do you think that we've become more auditory learners? I know.
3: Oh, that's interesting. Uh,
2: yeah. I, you know, I became an auditory learner whenever I was in the anesthesia school, just because I had to. I had three children under the age of five whenever I went to anesthesia school. And I used to tape on a little tape recorder every single class. And just listen to it over right. and over because I couldn't sit down. So traditionally, especially women are not great auditory learners, but I transition. And I think that's the reason why I really like the podcasting piece. But do you think as a whole that people are transitioning more to learning in that method?
3: It's so interesting to, to think about that question and kind of the the ripple effects and or the other layers of that. You know, how has... Social media changed the way that we consume information, the way that we look up information. You know, what's the influence of the algorithm on everything that we do? Right mm, from, from the social
2: dilemma things, that yeah. movie. Yeah, that's right. Freaked right. me right.
3: out. It's super scary. <laughs> so, you know, I I think it's from a theoretical standpoint. People still learn in discrete ways, whether it's reading, auditory, visual, kinesthetic, which is why clinical rotations and anesthesia training programs are so powerful, right? It's a, it's a mentored, precepted, experiential learning opportunity, which is why the art and science of precepting in clinical education is such a huge passion of mine. And why I talk about it a lot on Anesthesia Guidebook is that, you know, we, we are not, Trained to be clinical educators during anesthesia school, you know, as you said, they're even, you know, slicing or reducing or eliminating the the content on history. There's in from anesthesia training programs. There's so much information that we have to get across for for CRNAs to be competent and proficient at their jobs. That these other elements, whether it's the business of anesthesia, the history of anesthesia, how to become a clinical educator and preceptor, you don't often find those things in traditional nursing anesthesia training programs. And so CRAs have to learn those skills elsewhere, which is fascinating. But to your point, yeah, I think that social media has, has really changed how we consume information. My wife, her Instagram accounts have been taken over with baby feeds. It's everything about babies, videos about breastfeeding and changing diapers and sleep schedules and stuff. And we were sitting on the couch last night. She showed me this video. It was so fascinating. It was on, it was like on a reel on Instagram, which is a short, like TikTok style video where it gives you information. And this woman wanted to say something about, I can't remember what it was about with breastfeeding or a sleep schedule, but even the video was in like two times speed on the audio. The, the like she sped up her, like her audio content. It was like, I want to tell you about breastfeeding. This is really important. Look at this, but it was, it was so fast to grab your attention and to hold you, you know, she obviously didn't speak that fast when she recorded it, but she sped it up for the playback because I think our attention span has shrunk because we're so used to swiping. I I was reading a a blog by the guys that were uh, created the minimalist content and books and videos and all that kind of stuff. The other day, he said one of his lessons was that, um, that he's learned in his life is, uh, you know, scrolling is the new cigarette smoking that people, you know, (laughs) smoking is like taboo, but now what we do to pass the time, is just scroll, whether we're in the grocery store or whatever. And I think that rapid scrolling, I mean, we're now shaping videos in like double speed to get the information in as fast as we can. And I think that also creates problems, especially if you're looking at, like you said, you know, If you're getting your primary information from social media content, maybe you're not getting enough, right? You you need to go to a textbook and, and actually read and dig deeper and look at the journal articles and cite the literature and dig into the why behind the things that we're talking about on social media. And if you're just listening to, you know, YouTube videos, podcasts, blogs, that kind of stuff you're missing so much information, I think, as an SRNA at this point, when it comes to clinical information and info about the profession.
1: Yeah, I think this is this is all really good stuff, John. And it's uh, it is interesting how the industry is changing so quickly. You know, I always look out and say, you know, what's next, what's next. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I feel like with podcasts, we're really just scratching the surface of the use of this because people do want that information. They want it now. And they're searching for ways. So, you know, although podcasts have been around for a long time, I think we're going to see them continue to play a role in education and just consuming of information out there. So, you know, you you do a great job, like Sharon said, you know, uh, the clinical stuff. You know, I've listened to your podcast some, and if some of it I get, some of it I don't. You know, I did listen to the one with Eric. Oh and, yeah, yeah, uh, Eric Carlson. where he talked about. Eric
2: served on my board whenever I was president of the North Carolina Association right. of Nurse Anesthetists back in 2001 to 2002. Good lord, that's about <laughs> 20 years ago. Yeah,
3: yeah he's yeah. an amazing guy. He yeah. is yeah. An awesome. Yeah, using your uh, financial services, Jeremy CNA Financial Planning, yeah, on a show that I did with him on retirement, which was great. Yeah,
1: his yeah. wife is very cool too. Oh yeah, yeah, they're very they're, cool. they're great. Great people, great people. But, you know, as we kind of wrap this one up, John, first we want to thank you. I personally want to thank you for all your leadership in this space. And, really, you have been, And uh, you know, anesthesia guidebook and everything you've done, you've kind of been a roadmap for what Sharon and I have done. And that's really what we're trying to be. You know, we've had a little bit of success doing this and we want to give back. We want to give back to other folks out there who are are doing podcasts and promoting good works out there and helping out the CRNA and nursing community. And, you know, our idea, this is actually Sharon's idea. I give her all the credit is to have other folks on who have, podcast related and see if we can increase you know their visibility and hopefully we get a few more visibility increases as well so this is is definitely her.
0: today's show is brought to you by the folks at crna financial planning an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to crnas and their families
1: But as we conclude, anything you want to conclude on here? Well, I just want to say
3: thanks again for having me on. I mean, you all, you know, we've talked so much about, you know, quality control in our conversation. And I think, you know, you all have built a really high quality podcast. You've put the time in, you've put the energy in, you've gone to the sources, you've tracked down the people who maybe have never heard of a podcast, some of the old timers in <laughs> Anesthesia, and have interviewed them and, and captured their stories and, you all have have just consistently put out really, really high quality content. And I think that's why you have created such a substantial platform uh, to speak from. And, and I'm, I'm just so grateful for what you all are doing and, and also, they're stoked about where you're headed in terms of being able to give back through the platform and, and educate other folks. So, so thank you. Thank you for keeping your podcast free and open for other folks. I think that's really meaningful for the SRNAs and the CRNAs out there. And, and I think, yeah, as we look forward to the future, it's we are just getting started with this whole process. And I think that social media and asynchronous learning opportunities will continue to change the shape of nursing anesthesia education for years to come you know we don't have time and we haven't even scratched the surface of you know the role of programs like Apex and Prodigy right. and you know conferences whether it's board prep conferences or continuing education conferences for CRNAs how those are influencing traditional university based training programs the whole concept of accreditation again in right. quality control and you know whether it's reasonable for universities to require SRNAs to purchase these third party Training programs, but again, recognizing that there's value. You know, if, if everyone out there is trying to reinvent the wheel, if there's 15 different podcasts on succinylcholine like or ketamine or a ventilator check, how do you differentiate which one to listen to? And maybe is there a space for, you know, the AANA or some other organization to step in and curate? Mm-hmm content producers to try to pull people together from a synergistic standpoint and get information that is peer reviewed, that is quality checked, and that remains free and open access that can shape the future of anesthesia education with the end goal of can we better equip CRNAs to be the clinical experts that they are, but on an ongoing basis with up-to-date information. So we're just getting started and it's a it's a fascinating field and I would encourage you know, the SRNAs who are listening and the CRNAs out there, if you've got an inkling to get in on the show, you know, reach out to the podcast that you're stoked about, see if you can help out, see if you can help contribute a show, or if you want to go big, you know, there are ways to create your own platform as well, whether that's a, a TikTok page or or a podcast
1: or some other social media outlet. So, but thank you again for having me on. I'm so stoked to be here with you. Absolutely. And, and to all our listeners, you know, uh, John's, uh, podcast is anesthesia guidebook if you haven't listened to it obviously go out there check him out as you can tell he's a great guy and he's doing great works and for the right reasoning so sharon you want to introduce our our lightning round this is
2: my favorite part so john what do people often get wrong about you
3: oh goodness I don't know. I've got a I've got a big beard and a sleeve of tattoos. So <laughs> maybe, maybe they think I'm a hammer and not a hugger.
1: <laughs> I'm a hugger, though. I love it. I love it. That was good. Uh, so, John, what's your favorite word?
3: Well, I've been accused of using the word stoke far too often on my podcast. <laughs> so maybe that's it. But there's a reason. It goes back to just, you know, it's, it is that California, Hawaii surfer culture of like, of just finding what, what you're passionate about. And, and to me, you know, podcasting, sharing meaningful stories for other people is something to get stoked about. And so I use that a lot, but I, I mean the core of that word every time I say it.
2: So if you could go back in history, what era would you go to?
3: Ooh, I don't know. That is so difficult. I mean, I, I ah, there's so many things, you know, my wife watched Outlander recently.
2: Oh my God. No <laughs> wonder y'all have got
1: a baby. <laughs> hey, uh, I haven't seen that one. Do I need to check it out? Right is that what you're telling me? <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> to,
3: to be a super nerd, you know, I, I think going back to when anesthesia was still just some of the, some of the areas were just evolving you know Ed Eager is one of my heroes in anesthesia. The guy that developed MAC, the concept of minimum alveolar concentration mm-hmm. of volatile anesthetics. I mean, to go back to a time where, you know, these things weren't a given that you didn't just you know turn the dial on and your patients asleep on the anesthesia machine with sevoflurane. But, you know, people actually had to sit down and, and hammer out that science and figure mm-hmm. out how are we going to do anesthesia better. So, you know yeah standing in the lab with ed eager and picking his brain as he's developing volatile anesthetics that would be pretty cool but that's the nerdy anesthesia version there's so many <laughs> there's so many errors to go back for so many different reasons
2: we'll see there you go people would get if they see you with your grizzly adam's beard and your sleeved arm and yet you want to go back in time to be in a lab with
1: <laughs> yeah, <there you laughs> but it is Super so nerd. funny though you know you say that but people do perceive things about people but John once you open your mouth mm-hmm, they realize they really quickly that this guy's highly intelligent smart mm-hmm. and personable oh so, goodness Jeremy you know, you're smart. absolutely it, is, it is true it is true so all right last question and you know I got to go here if you won the lottery what would you do John Ooh. well since I'm
3: speaking to a <laughs> CRNA financial planner <laughs> Good boy. I, might, I might actually sign up for your services, uh, <laughs> finally. Uh, no, but I mean, you know, I would think most people are familiar with the reality that people who win the lottery end up broker than they were before mm-hmm. they won the lottery. So I would, I would try to apply the best financial sense, eliminate personal debts look at ways to give back to other people, look at ways to set up that windfall of cash to where it continues to replicate itself through, you know, sound investments. So, you know, why take a windfall of cash and and go buy fancy things that are gone, you know, in a flash when you can set up, you know, harness the power of that in order to create so many other good things. I've come to know someone recently who is an incredibly generous philanthropist and she gives out of her earnings on her investments. Uh, She gives tens of thousands of dollars away to all kinds of things that interest her, but it's all based upon the earnings from her investment. She re- very rarely gives earned money or principal value away, yeah. and it's through sound financial investing. So I would definitely, you would be the first guy to call Jeremy <laughs> if I won the lottery,
1: and we would put that money to good use. Well, that's that's a great answer. What a great answer. I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, again, thank you and congratulations to you and Kristen. on. And, and what's the your little boy's name? Wilder Sky. Wilder, Wilder S-
2: Sky S K Y oh, or that. S K
1: Y E. You can't blame him if he grows up just wild and crazy. He, uh, he's going to move to Montana. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's what, right. That's what's going to. That's happen. right. He's going to break some hearts growing up. <laughs> well, with two good-looking parents like you two, you know he's going to have to. So Um, all right Sharon well I think that's a wrap Uh, it's been a great show thank you all so much
2: thanks John
1: Uh, we want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and
2: Sharon Pierce
1: if you like our show Sharon what's the single best way to help the show grow
2: the single best way oh we've got so many ways tell your friends like us subscribe to us Put us on social media. The list is long. Show us some love.
1: That's right. You know, we're in the top 50 medical podcasts and our goal is to be in the
2: top 10 on
1: on the way to number (laughs) one. Until next time.
2: It's a wrap.
0: Have you thought about what would happen if you weren't able to work for two or three years? You know, on average, 25% of people will file a disability claim, and most of us aren't prepared for that loss of income. Every CRNA needs to protect their biggest asset, yourself, and your ability to earn with a disability insurance policy. We recommend contacting Robert Smith a master disability insurance specialist with more than 30 years of experience and 1,800 CRNA clients to find the coverage that fits you best. The best way to do that is to send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com or call him at 504-394-6557.